The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations by CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference and by the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is Session 192. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate you tuning in this week. We have a great show for you with Pratik Joshi, the CEO of Pluto Shift. And that continues data month here at the Water Values Podcast. As you know, last episode we had Mina Sankaran of Kidos on discussing some top digital water trends. In this episode, Pratik Joshi is going to do a fantastic job giving some great and practical insights into the digital transformation of the water sector. And that's what I find really fascinating about speaking with uh, multiple people in the digital water sector is that they all have unique perspectives on digital water. And I find it just really interesting to hear those perspectives. Uh, they're all a little different, uh, but they share some common threads and it's uh, getting into uh, how each person uh, with with their unique background and experience, uh, views digital water, I think is just a, a really interesting exercise because it gives us a peek at the future. So uh, really happy the Pratik is coming on and we had some other great guests like Mina come on uh, to discuss digital water. But first, and as always, before we get to Pratik, a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Can Do, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, Black & Veatch, and the American Waterworks Association, a great group of sponsors. And if you could, please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss, thank your contact at that sponsor firm, and let them know you appreciate their leadership in the water industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting sponsors know that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It really helps uh, others find out about the podcast and it's greatly appreciated. So thank you so much. Now it's time to get on to our featured guest, Pratik Joshi, the CEO of Pluto Shift. Let's get that water flowing. Well, Pratik, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's terrific to, to, to finally speak with you on the, on the podcast. Um, for those who who may not know who you are or who Pluto Shift is, could you give us a little thumbnail on on uh, who you are and what your background is and how you got interested in water? Sure. My background is pretty much I spent my entire career in artificial intelligence. I'm I'm a I'm an AI engineer by trade, and when I got into this this field. I, and I realized that it has done a lot of good in the ether, like search engines and e-commerce. But when it comes to the physical world, there's a bit of a gap, meaning that tool is, you know, it's, it's a very useful tool, 
and you know, it ought to be used a lot more in the, in the physical world. And that's that's what got me interested in looking into this further. And the field of water is that it's a topic very close to my heart. I, I grew up in, in southern India, and um, and growing up, we you know water was not as easy to come by. It was it was a bit of a you know you had to work for it, uh, and uh, and that kind of the, and again in India, growing up in a, in a small town, we had you know multiple you know items to focus on, but water just stayed close to me. So when we launched Pura Chef, uh, it, it was with this combination of AI. And, and water, and uh, that that was the that was when we launched Pura Shift. And Pura Shift, the company, we automate uh, data workflows for operations teams, and it's built for for companies uh, that have expansive physical infrastructure. And uh, the way we got started, obviously, was with water processes. And uh, and really, if you look at what we work on, it's it could be anything ranging from uh, auto membranes, water, wastewater. Uh, reuse, electricity consumption, and water processes, basically anything related to, you know, using existing data. Basically, they collect, uh, a lot of our customers, they are collecting data, but it's not being put to use. And what we do is we take the data from disparate systems, we centralize it, and then we, we have built a range of use cases to help them monitor their membranes, cooling towers, boilers, refrigerators, right? And uh, the chemical dosing and wastewater. So we have built a, a range of packaged use cases, and uh, that's uh, that's what we do as a business. All right, terrific. So um, it, it sounds like you are uh, heavily involved in the, what I'll just call industrial water sector. So uh, what, just, just for, for those who may not have as much familiarity with that sector, what, what industries uh, do you primarily, you know, what what industries are the most water intensive that would need to that would benefit from using data to to uh, more efficiently operate? Yeah, we when we look at a range of verticals, um, sectors such as food and beverage, uh, chemicals, uh, power and renewables, data centers. So basically, these are some of the verticals that we have seen that water is used pretty heavily either for and there's part of the main product like if you're manufacturing if you're, if you're a beverage company you need a lot of water to make the product and then if you are a, a chemicals company you use a lot of water to, for your processes and then you're to take care of tens of millions of gallons of wastewater right so basically water appear the footprint of water is pretty huge across these uh these businesses yeah and and how are they approaching what, you know, I think you've kind of referred to as the, the digital transformation. Yeah. In this, so what they're, it's been 2020, obviously it's been a, uh, it's been a, a very cathartic year uh, when it comes to thinking about digital transformation, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, these companies, they, in the, in the last decade, they, they started getting very serious about collecting data, right? So they, they started thinking about, okay, we we have these these huge facilities and uh, they're not really instrumented well. And uh, and luckily, about about a decade ago, all the sensors they started becoming very inexpensive. They're connected to the internet, so collecting data like pressure and temperature that became more affordable, and uh, and that's why people invested in making sure they have data collection systems. Now it was it was a 
a slow transformation. Now, in the, in the last decade, many good vendors came to help these companies. And now they have all this, they, they invested millions of dollars, they set up the data collection systems. Now that data is just sitting there. It's, not, it's just not doing anything. People still have to use Excel to do the work. Like for example, if you have a facility, you have a hundred membrane systems, and you still have to do a, like a manual round robin method to see, okay, which membrane needs cleaning today, right? And it's, it's a very manual process. And by the time you actually get to it, it's uh, you would have consumed a lot more electricity or you would have wasted a lot more water because the recovery rate is low. So they want to move, 2020 kind of forced people to move from this manual mode, Excel slash phone call slash email mode to something like, a, okay, we got to have a tool because we can't physically go into the facility every day. This was back in like March, April, May when it was really starting to pick up uh, mm-hmm. the COVID. And uh, people realized, okay, transformation or not, we just got to figure out a way to use a digital tool to keep an eye on all of our infrastructure. It's like a basic existential need. And that kind of really forced companies to not only instrument themselves, but also have tools in place where they use the data to make decisions because they physically can't be there every second because we just can't. And uh, that thinking of moving from this Excel slash manual decision mode to having a tool that can surface those items for them. It's a, it's a very big shift. And I think that's what we are seeing uh, in the market when it comes to uh, digital transformation. Yeah. So, so in your view, kind of the, the existence of COVID really accelerated the understanding on these, these industry players that, Hey, we, we have to switch to digital. Is, is that what kind of the, the nutshell I got from what you just related exactly yeah it's it's basically it became it went from a nice thing to have to an existential (laughs) yeah realize yeah we can't uh, you know like hey you know people we can't send people into the facility and yet we need to know if we produced the our our beverage like you unless you are unless you have a tool that can tell you that it's just not going to happen so that's yeah you're right It's, it's really help them focus on on this this big gap that they have in their uh, in their processes. Yeah, and 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 it just seems that that is we we all undertook significant changes uh due to covid, right? And we all adapted and we all came out. Now, it, it was it wasn't easy, and but I but I think um that it demonstrates that we are all capable of more change than than we think we are. Um, and I, so that's just, that's my takeaway from, from COVID and the digital transformations that we're capable of a lot more than we think we are. And so that's actually a a very good point. And I a hundred percent agree with that. People, we always thought that, oh, we need like, we need five years to at least, at least five years to do this. There's a lot of work. And then suddenly universe demanded that you got, you get it done in two weeks and guess what? They did it, right? Obviously, it's, it's not perfect, but it, they, what they thought would take years, it took about two weeks to make that decision and get going because it became, as I said, it became existential. So we are capable. It's just that, you know, COVID really forced people to, okay, all of the side projects that may or may not matter, just just stop that, right? Focus on what's extremely important right now. And, and I think that's what happened. People focused and you know, it's, it's, they're capable. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've described all this data and why they've, they've, these industry players have finally realized, or some of them knew all along, but so how, how are they using it in terms of, you know, what, what does this data do? Because I, when you, when you just say data, everyone has a different idea of what data is in their head. And so how, how, how is that, that being used in the, uh, by these industry players, and and is there are, are there differences in the industrial sector versus other sectors like the municipal and the the utility sector, things of that nature? Yeah, yeah, I think you know, data is, um, and you're right. If if you ask you know, ten people, they'll get ten different uh, definitions of, of of what data does for you. But really, at its at its heart, data is a way for you to make decisions. Right and decision like people make decisions every single day. In fact, we live in a world where you know, all the the people who who have to make decisions on a, on a day to day basis. Be it hey, so should I switch it on or off? Should I go this way or that way? Should I should I focus on memory number five or thirteen? It's it's basically we live in a world where we have to make decisions at, at a high rate and. Uh, you know, as humans, I read a very interesting article recently that as humans, our, our thinking rate is is fixed, meaning we cannot artificially accelerate and train ourselves to make 10,000 decisions a day. It's just, it's just not, I mean, we can, <laughs> we can, we can do it, those will be very, very poor decisions. So it's more yeah, like, yeah. You can just, it, it's going to be random after a certain point, your brain stops working. So in, in this, in this, you know, 2021, this decade, this, this year, this era, we live in a world where we have a lot of machines, a lot of instrumentation, and uh, you you gotta your, your work depends on making decisions, right? Now you can make those decisions by using you know your gut or your your guesswork or your intuition, but you know, it's gonna be taxing because if you if you if you see uh, the numbers, basically let's say that you're you're operating a facility and you it's, it's collecting a lot of data. Now, if somebody plots that for you and you see a very nice spike in electricity consumption, it's an extremely easy decision. You know, oh, at 2 o'clock, this happened. I know exactly what to do. Now, getting to that piece of information, you can it, – it's it's going to be very difficult if you have to do it with guesswork and, and, and you know, just, just – imagine making like 17 phone calls just to get to a simple piece of information. And <laughs> that, that is what data does for you. Right? It's not that – you already know what to do if you see a spike. It's just that you don't know it's happening. So yeah. what data does is pretty much it equips you to make those decisions. And honestly, it makes it extremely easy, right? If you see a flat line, you know everything is smooth. If you see a spike, you know what to do. Now, that in the world of water could mean you can reduce electricity consumption, right? You can reduce the chemical dosing patterns. You can reduce... Uh, you can you can increase the water recovery rate. So it, it's basically if you look at at data, and obviously you need tools to convert that raw data to useful information. But if you have that, you can make decisions faster and spend your time on on high value items. Meaning every day, hundred things are changing. Out of that, ninety seven are fine, right? You just need to focus on those three items that need your attention, and data helps you get to those those three. Now. When you think about municipal versus industrial, uh, municipal like in, in industrial, 
the footprint is is huge meaning let's say that they use data they deploy a, a tool they do a small call it a, a proof of concept of some some technology that that success template can be scaled 1000x meaning the the enterprise the company benefits from those successes because the scale is huge whereas in municipal it's it's slightly different right it's it's very um you know most like most entities in america like north of 50000 uh they those municipal entities because of their footprint their the success can be meaning if they're really successful the 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 scale is limited because if you go to the next county it's it's it's, it's you got to start all over again so it's a little different in terms of how um success templates can be scaled but data by itself it could be used very efficiently be it you know water waste water water reuse or any kind of resource consumption use cases so um yeah i think it's it's as long as we can figure out uh, a common pattern where municipalities can share the best practices meaning hey i built this it is successful now let's let's scale it up i think by having that that common layer is going to be extremely beneficial in the, in the municipal world yeah yeah well i'm sold i i think data is a good thing um but there's there's got to be some challenges with it. What what do you see as the most common uh, challenges for for a, kind of a data centric organization? Yeah, I think the the the, the main challenge is when you think of you know, what does it mean to be a, a data centric org, right? So what what it means is all the people who are part of that organization are are equipped to use data, right? Meaning what that means is. if and, and, and i don't mean like data scientists or engineers any person should be able to easily access data uh quickly kind of transform that data and then kind of put it in a, in a in a form that is useful in making decisions now when you look at many companies they almost get stuck in step 1 meaning getting access to data itself is so so difficult meaning oh it's we collected this data where it's stored in some system and nobody knows how to log into the system so i'm just going to do my own thing so it's i think one making sure that data is accessible is extremely important and i think that's going to open up so many doors just by let's say that simple example let's say you have a scada system where you collect all the sensor data and Uh, an ERP system and a maintenance system and you as the operator now you have to make a decision on okay when was it last when did we last work on it and i want to see resource consumption and maybe pressure data and i want to see what to do next now as simple as it is many people can't even access the basic scada system right mostly because it's it's locked in like historical data is locked in somewhere and it's stored in some weird format so simply centralizing that data and uh making it accessible is a big win that's big step one in 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 running the data centric organization and after that the the call it a, a platform meaning a a platform that centralizes data and say you have a a few templates meaning you as a company for a beverage company you should know that hey you know i our team needs uh to monitor membranes they need to monitor water recovery rate they need to predict the next clean day so simple templates that are very useful that are commonly used across the org if you have those templates ready then a lot of people are inclined to use it and then the output can be used to drive drive behavior change so 
I think behavior change is another important, I think uh, a nice governing principle here is using data to do work is is a big part of, of behavior change. As in, you as a company should, should actively embrace that and promote that, and only then they'll be able to use because trusting the data is another huge issue. And so all these issues put together is, and again, it's not a, a simple linear process. You have to focus on it. But but yes, I think these are a few items where, you know, what it means to run a data-centric org, I think it, it just it just starts with providing access to data and it, it kind of, it, it ends with making sure the behavior change is, is you know, we have those champions in place. Yeah. yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. So we've, we've got all this data and the data feeds into uh, commonly, I mean, I think a lot of organizations use artificial intelligence or machine learning organizations uh, for all the data they've been harvesting. What, what, what is the difference between AI and machine learning? Because every time I think I know, I, I, I realize I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a question that uh, we, we keep getting a lot to us. No, AI is the goal, and machine learning is a vehicle to get there. So it's almost like when you think of, let's say you build a, uh, build a system that can ingest data and that can predict uh, a specific event. Now, that whole system is, is an AI system because it is, it's the goal. Now, the underlying algorithms, the, the framework that you used to actually the tools that you built to ingest the data, build the models, and, and check the quality, and then automate the decisions. All those tools, um, that is that's so that's that's machine learning. So that's why we kind of be it's not either or. It's basically you know it's it's as I said, AI is the goal, and ML is a vehicle to get there. And that's how we look at uh, at these systems. And I think it, it's over a period of time we have also gotten uh, a lot of uh, good insight into you know what what you know the, the goal actually drives what type of tools you use meaning you have to start with the use case the end goal and then work from there as opposed to saying that okay we have this tool what problem can we solve it's 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 a little bit of a, a flip decision so that's how you know, that's how we see ai and uh, and ml okay okay and what are some of the like uh, because when I think about AI and machine learning, they're, they're shiny new tools, um, things like that. What, what are kind of the, um, I don't know, the, the, let's say the less glorious parts of working with AI and machine learning? Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's a very interesting point of discussion because, you know, for, for many people, AI is like, oh, the, the Terminator, the, the robot is going to is gonna come in and it's, it's more like it's, it's that's <laughs> a, a nice, cool, that's a nice, cool, fun stuff. But then there's like 80% of, of building an AI system. It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not that glorious, right? It's, it's, it includes items like you got to check data quality. And you got to automate that process, right? You can't have a human look every single look at every single number because there are millions of them. So data quality checking, data validation, uh, looking for missing data, uh, detecting anomalies in data, uh, and uh, say unifying data from multiple sources because they don't like they're not timestamped the same way. And you got to figure out how to unify it, and you got to figure out how to store the data efficiently, how to retrieve the data. So all these a lot of this pretty much centers on getting data ready 
to to build the models because building the model is like the last 20%, like picking the right algorithm, building the right model and putting it in production. That's the last 20%. The 80% of work happens is is before that. And it's, it's pretty much centered on converting raw data from multiple sources to centralized data that is ready for modeling. So that's, uh, and again, having done this for quite some time, you know, I, I got to say, the, the companies that get this architecture right uh, are well positioned to win. Meaning because these costs, if, if you if you have to do all these things manually, it's it's going to be impossible to to run a real production system because you know this is too many tasks. So all these all the all the tasks that I mentioned, we have to consciously automate for our own sanity because the more you automate uh, simple tasks. Uh, the better it gets because uh, when you look at the the amount of data we deal with, like terabytes, it's it's uh, it's very important that you you focus on on making sure you get these things right. So these are some of the some of the, some of the less glorious parts of of building an AI system. Yeah, is 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 that issue? Do you think why uh, is that is that what's holding? Uh, AI machine learning back because people are afraid they're going to get it because businesses and utilities are afraid they're going to get it wrong and they don't want to make that, you know, huge investment and then get it wrong. I mean, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually, you know, when it, when it comes to utilities, um, they are, they are regulated, right? Which means that uh, for a, for a, for a corporation, for a, for an industrial company, they have special teams dedicated to testing out new technologies and they have a, most of them, they have a, at least like a framework for, for testing. If we get a new tech, what do we do with it? Where do we pilot it? How do we measure it? And uh, they are prepared for both success and failure. In utilities, it's, it's a little more difficult because one, they're regulated and two, they, they have to get it right because if you, if you, get something wrong it's it's going to be a you know, a pretty it's it's going to be pretty scrutinized pretty heavily so because of that they are a little more um, risk averse in terms of testing out our new technologies and also because ai uh, many you know, many people have been talking about ai for so long it's kind of becomes difficult to figure out what's real and what's just marketing right and and that's why i think utilities they are trying to figure out you know, how do we I think most of them know and understand that, you know, this is a useful system. It's a useful system, but how do we, there are 10,000 AI vendors. How do we, how do we pick the right one and how do we make sure that it works in our case? Because, you know, not, there's no unified, like a grand unified solution that, you know, the single model works for every single company in the world. It just doesn't work like that. So the goal is how do they pick the right partner? And also, how do we how do they make sure that the ROI is actually delivered? So that's the that's a bit of a it's uh, it's it's a process, and uh, some utilities are, are ahead of others in, in doing so. But I think these are some of the some of the common um, issues that that we have seen in the market. Yeah, and do you have any insights on how how utilities or how businesses are selecting what they deem the right? You know, what are the factors they're looking at to select the right system? More than anything, it's they're looking at ROI and guaranteed ROI. And and it's not that, you know, people can, can claim, oh, I've tried the 6x, 10x, 20x ROI. They can claim that. But the problem is 
they want to know what's the proof that in 90 days I will actually see the ROI because by then it's going to be too. They can't go back in time and cancel the order, right? So it's so that's biggest thing that that we have seen is utilities and companies they look for ROI which is more or less guaranteed. And uh, and the good thing is the more proof you have, it helps. Meaning if you've already successfully done this uh, across other entities, other organizations, it, those those case studies really help. And uh, but barring that, usually what happens is the use case is slightly different. Meaning there won't be an exact apples to apples use cases. So that's where they're trying to figure out. Okay, one, can the ROI be guaranteed? And two, even if it is guaranteed, how do I how do I make sure our people embrace it? Meaning, if there's a great, great tool out there, it, it is you know, it provides definite ROI. But if you don't use it, the ROI is zero. So that's the other thing. The behavior aspect of it is another thing that they focus on a lot. And it's actually a very big point of discussion that how do we help our team, our team as in the utilities team, uh, embrace this new way of working so that the ROI can actually be be realized. So it's it's a combination of the two ROI plus the driving behavior change. Yeah, those are those are fascinating, great points. Um, you mentioned kind of use case. Do you have any? Do you have a use case that that something you've worked on where where you can you can kind of share with us how how data has uh, helped a a an, you know industrial processor or water or something like that? How how they've how they've benefited from using data. Yeah, 100%. I got a couple of examples here. One is the auto membrane, reverse osmosis membranes. And uh, this actually, it's a very, uh, anywhere where drinking water is involved, or even beverage or beer is involved, uh, you know, auto membranes are, are pretty ubiquitous. They are used everywhere. And the use case is when you use uh, membranes, there are many of them, dozens, if not more. And uh, Usually the goal is to make sure that okay, you know, we we are buying uh, say three million gallons of water, uh, raw water from the city, and uh, you know you got to clean it before you use it for your product. And uh, the operators have to make sure that all the membranes are you know, pulling their weight. They gotta they gotta do their part in in cleaning uh, the water, and then uh, they have to they have to figure out how do we keep an eye on these these membranes. Now, the goal is to predict the key metrics, monitor and predict key metrics for the RO membranes. And uh, the, the benefits would be, the reason they want to do this is they want to reduce electricity consumption, uh, predict clean dates, and uh, increase water recovery rate. So now, there are two ways of doing it. One is just the operators come in shifts, and uh, they just use their historical like intuition saying that I, I've been, I've been, working on membranes for, for a few years and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna guess, meaning, hey, membrane number, it's been a while since I looked at membrane number seventeen, so I'm gonna go take a look. That's that's one way of doing it. But as operators will tell you, it's uh, they'd rather have a specific reason uh, for, for for those actions. So by using data, what what data will now do is instead of you randomly kind of guessing wh- where to focus uh, data will tell you here are the top three items that need your attention, and here's why. So by by surfacing the right thing and providing a, a why, 
to do that. It kind of it helps uh, operators save days, not not even hours. Usually, it, it takes days for them to get to the root cause of an issue. So, by so this is the main advantage of using data. And now, by doing this, they can make sure that they can reduce electricity consumption because a block like a, a membrane that is that is going down in permeability consumes more electricity. So by making sure that they keep an eye on all of this automatically, they now can uh, can can drive performance. Um, this is one example. Uh, another example would be uh, in wastewater where um, you know, there are clarifiers, big clarifiers, and the goal is to monitor and predict the key metrics for chemical dosing, meaning for your processes, you use uh, a lot of water. And before before disposing it off, you got to clean it. Right? The government says you can't you can't just you know, dispose of the dirty water. So to clean the water, you need a lot of chemicals. And uh, the more chemicals you use, the faster it is to clean. But uh, the company, they, you know, they need to make sure that it's efficient, meaning you just don't want to throw chemicals at the problem. So the goal is how do we use data to reduce chemical consumption and yet meet the quality requirements at the government and then obviously reduce costs uh, in, in the meantime. So in this case, again, the same issue is operators, you can either do it with um, you know, Excel spreadsheets and maybe call somebody to make sure that when was the last time you did this and you know, before you know it, it's, it's, it's too late. So by moving to a more data-driven approach, you have, you have like a it's almost like having a, a real-time monitoring tool that keeps an eye on all the metrics and it surfaces the right thing, meaning, hey, uh, looks like the chemical consumption is spiking up. Uh, and it, the last spike was at 2 o'clock and it was at clarifier number 2. So you may want to go take a look. And then it's, but just by providing that information, they can, they can address that peak and make sure that the process is running smoothly. So it's almost... Uh, uh, a tool that can monitor the performance of their infrastructure and uh, and make sure that you monitor the key metrics, you detect anomalies, and also you predict upcoming events. Just that information is extremely helpful, and that drives uh, a lot of value. Got it. Got th- th- those are great examples, and thanks for thanks for sharing those. Um, we're coming to the end of our time, Pratik, and you've been absolutely fantastic. I've learned so much today. Uh, so thank you for that. But uh, if you had a leave behind message, what would it be? Yeah, no. I when you, when we think about data, we uh, we always think about okay, how do we, you know, the top down approach has been uh, the default, meaning where if if, uh, if an organization decides that hey, we got to do a company wide overhaul, and uh, it's just it's not working. And we conducted a survey to do that. And uh, what we realized is most most of the respondents they said that an op specific approach is is working like magic. Well, and what that, what I mean by that is you pick a specific workflow, uh, a specific process, and then you 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 apply the, the digital transformation to that. So the op specific digital transformation is working. Uh, working amazingly well, and in 2021, you got to start with you got to start small, focused, and narrow, and then scale it up. So, uh, I would say the leave behind message is operation specific digital transformation is 
has been has been successful and the people in a survey like in a survey 79% of the respondents said that operation specific approach has been has been successful and they would they would definitely want to kind of continue doing that uh, as opposed to doing like a boiling the ocean approach of top down transformation somebody makes a big decision and everybody is forced to use the tool nobody likes it it just doesn't do anything so to put data to use operation specific approach is uh, the best. Got it. That's a great, great point. Um, well, Pratik, thank you again so much for coming on. It's been terrific speaking with you. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and more about Pluto Shift, where can they go to get that information? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, we, to, to know more about Pluto Shift, uh, please visit www.plutoshift.com. And uh, to learn more about me, uh, you, can, you can visit www.pratikj.com. So, yeah, and, and again, obviously, happy to, if you want to get in touch, LinkedIn is, is great, and uh, happy to uh, happy to talk more. Awesome. Well, again, Pratik, thanks so much. You've been awesome, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you in the future. Fantastic. Thanks, David. You bet. Uh, and we really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it was, it was great. Thanks so much. All right. See you, Pratik. Really enjoyed the conversation with Pratik. He, he, he boiled it all down in my mind when he mentioned that ROI is the factor that businesses look at most when considering a digital water solution. Uh, you know, follow the dollars, right? Um, well, I'd love to know what you thought about that interview. Please check out the show notes for the page. Uh, you can just Google the Water Values Podcast, uh, click on the first link that comes up, and you'll get to the show notes. And uh, it has information about what the key points on the podcast were. It's got uh, the links to Pluto Shift, to uh, Pratik's LinkedIn page, as well as uh, Pratik's personal website, where you can find out much more information about him. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM one nine nine three. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign me sign up for the newsletter at the Bluefield research landing page. Again, just Google the water values podcast, click on the first link that comes up and you can sign up for the, the newsletter there. We've, we've got a strong following there. We don't spam you. It's, it's essentially you get a newsletter every time a podcast is released, which is 22 times a year. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. And again, a huge thank you to sponsors of the Water Values Podcast. Again, those sponsors include CanDo, Woodard and Curran, Interra, Xylem, Black and Veatch, and the American Waterworks Association. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. 
Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.